If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. I don't want any of our businesses to be on Mm. the menu. I want us all to be active participants in the game. We have a right to be there. We have a right to have a voice. And we should continue to support those leaders that support what means and is a value to us. Science, technology, engineering, and math are all great careers, but they're also fills with additional barriers to entry for women, people of color, and other amazing members of our community who have been historically marginalized in STEM. I'm Dr. Pamela McCauley, and welcome to Stepping Up STEM. On this show, I'm having conversations with impactful and passionate leaders making a difference in STEM education, innovation, and entrepreneurship. My guest today is Tammy Hall, Tammy is the executive director of the Minority Business Development Agency at the U.S. Department of Commerce. She is also a board member at Raleigh-Durham International Airport and Dominion Energy, the executive director for diverse businesses for the state of North Carolina, and a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant at Thal Consulting Services. If you're wondering how a powerhouse like Tammy can do so much good for so many people, while serving on so many different roles. Me too! (laughs) And I can't wait to learn more about the passion that drives her to do that today. Thanks for making time to join us, Tammy. Oh, you are absolutely welcome, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, you are just a delight. I'm so excited to hear more about what you're doing. So tell me a little bit about your life and your career. I mean, I see these amazing things that you're doing and how you're having impact. So share a little bit with us about you. Thank you. You know, the journey has been quite interesting for me. I'm originally from Arkansas, grew up in rural parts of Arkansas, very, very rural. I am the only girl of six other siblings, all brothers. So I often (laughs) tell people all my life I had to fight, you know, so but we grew up in rural Arkansas, a little town called Manchester, And, you know, it was just quite interesting. My dad was retired Army. And I was determined that at some point, as I matriculated through life, that Mm -hmm. I would exit Arkansas and do something else. And I never really knew what that would Mm -hmm. be. So I went on to college at University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, HBCU in Arkansas. Fantastic. And then I threw myself into being active within the Alumni Association and became president of the National Alumni Association, where where I traveled the country (laughs) advocating for HBCUs and alumni to continue to alumni to give back to the institutions Mm -hmm. that have prepared them for their lifelong journey. Uh, Ended in corporate, you know, went into corporate America, Arthur Anderson as a consultant. And from there, I became very interested in politics. And so I reached out and during my graduate internship, I said, I want to go to Capitol Hill. And so I went to Capitol Hill as an intern. Good for for you. So you just had the boldness to (laughs) know you wanted to do this and just stepped out and did it. I did. I went to Capitol Hill and and, uh, worked for a senator. And the senator said to me as I was leaving, he said, you know, I know that you live out of the state of Arkansas, but anytime you want to come home, there's always a job for you. Wow. And I thought, interesting. And so five years later or so, I called and I said, hey, I don't know if you all remember me, but I think I need to move back to Arkansas, help with my family and my mm-hmm. mother and father. And 
They said, absolutely. When will you start? And that was amazing wow. because I didn't even apply. I just made a phone call five or six years Look later. At you. And before you know it, I was walking into politics. But see, you know? I love this. I love this. I mean, your boldness and how that in itself created the opportunities. It created an opportunity. And from that experience, worked on both sides of the aisle, I became connected to the Minority Business Development Agency. Okay. And so the passion started and I saw all of the goodwill that we could do from helping all of our communities grow and prosper. Mm -hmm. And so as we ended our term on Capitol Hill, and I feel mm -hmm. like I came halfway back home to North Carolina, I stopped here in, <laughs> in, in North Carolina, and I've been here for over 20 years now. Wow! And so it's been really, really a great experience having uh, developed diversity programs, business diversity programs okay. for many of the state agencies here Fantastic. in North Carolina. And so now I have this awesome opportunity to work for the governor and I have thoroughly wow. enjoyed it. Wow. Well, so speaking of that, what got you interested in working with minority businesses? Absolutely. So I do own my own consulting business as well, but just the passion and understanding how we close the wealth gap mm. in our communities. Yes. And Boy, don't we what, need to do that. Oh, my gosh, how we can do that to make things so much better. And understanding that small businesses, minority businesses, are the engines that drive mm -hmm. economic prosperity in our community. Wow. So really understanding that perspective and also knowing from having been in government that minority communities – we don't know what we don't know. And so right. to be a vessel and to be the conduit to provide information and connections mm. to resources that our taxpayer dollars pay for. Right. So I have, you know, really just found that to be very gravitating for me to focus on making a better community. Right. That's so powerful how you said we don't know what we don't know. And part of the reason that I'm so excited about this podcast is because I do talk to so many minority business owners or would-be minority business owners, but they say they don't know how to get started. I know there are so many resources. That's and right. Speaking of that, tell us a little bit about what the MDNA does and what your mission is. Right. So the governor here has under his purview what we call in the state of North Carolina and other states it's called different things. But here we call it the Office for Historically Underutilized Businesses. And basically what that office does is that we're here to level the playing field in state government from mm. a business perspective. So we can't change 400 years of history of disparities. Right. But what we can do is we have the now time to create change. And so the governor's awesome. been very bold about doing that. And my office supports that initiative. So we meet throughout the state. We have over 200 plus state agencies. Wow. And we make sure that we're including minorities in our procurement process, in the supply chain. And so that's something we've been doing here. I came in in 2017 with the governor as he came into the governorship. And so we've been doing that for years. Wow. And so when MBDA opened up an opportunity to apply for a grant, which Further supports the work that we're already doing, but mm -hmm. strengthening minority businesses in general. We jumped at the chance to oh, write fantastic. a proposal and apply. 
And, you know, Lord behold, we were granted (laughs) one of those centers here in North Carolina. Now, we had a center here already in North Carolina under Dr. Andrea Harris's leadership, who Mm. was the founder of North Carolina Mm. Institute. We lost her about two years ago, but she was a legend in our community in terms of minority businesses. Everyone responded when she called. And so (laughs) we wanted to bring that center back and to continue to honor her legacy and put forward all of her goodwill. We applied, and as I said, we were granted the center. Uh, We partnered with Research Triangle Park Foundation to house the center in the RTP area where we know corporate businesses Mm -hmm. are. Uh, We know that they're all serious about inclusion and making sure they have diversity as a part of their Mm -hmm. supply chain. So it seemed to be the right place for for the center and the partnerships that Mm -hmm. go along with it. So we've opened the center and we are in the park. And basically what we do is training, education, development, making sure we're connecting the dots for business owners in corporate as well as federal and local level opportunities. So we're building and creating opportunities for these very worthy businesses, which are the fabric of our community. Absolutely. What stage do they need to be at to come to MB, MBDA? That's correct. <laughs> MBDA. I know there are acronyms all over the place, but MBDA, which is Minority Business Development Agency. Right. So the MBDA is the only federal agency among all the agencies that is dedicated to being a support resource for minority businesses. Okay. And so we take them from beginning, entry level. We're just thinking thinking about an idea. How do we develop this idea? So we have counselors on board. We have team that's there to assist along with partnering with our small business technology centers and others that also are dedicated to support for historically underutilized businesses. So you could be at a very beginning stage of a business and have a great idea. And, you know, our job is to help nurture that idea and point you in Mm. the right direction. Or you could be an emerging business in the middle of your business experience, but still need some a little bit more hand-holding. You know, we've done in the midst of COVID, we figured out how to do mm. online Zooms and Teams to where we weren't cutting heads off and everything else, you know. <laughs> so we figured this thing out. We perfected it. And so from that, we have memorialized, recorded all of our webcasts that wow. we've conducted so Certainly, the listening audience can Google North Carolina Hub, H-U-B, and it will take you to our website that has our recordings on it. And so if you don't have time to attend, you can go back and listen and see exactly what we've shared. We bring in expert professionals who can really teach us and help teach Mm -hmm. the business owners the steps. But certainly from a beginning level, emerging to most experienced business owner, we want to help them continue to grow and build capacity. That is outstanding. So we're at whatever level we meet you where you are. Outstanding. Wherever you are. And you know, no small business owner, no business owner is not thinking about money. What is the cost for these services? Right. So absolutely F-R-E-E, free. Free. Wow. There is See, no there's cost. no reason for people to be without information. <laughs> when you no got a free cost. resource like this, oh my goodness, that is so exciting. You are a busy, busy lady. So now talk to us a little bit more about the division director at the state of North Carolina. That's right. That you said preceded the MBDA. That is correct. That's correct. So since 1999, Governor Hunt at that time was our governor in 
implemented executive order that created the Office for Historically Underutilized Businesses. Later, it was codified through the General Assembly statutes, and so it's a permanent mm-hmm. part of state government. But basically, it's, you know, the agency has been there, as I said, to level the playing field. We have wow. hub Go coordinators, hub directors all over the state working in these state agencies. Last year, we spent total $10 billion in goods and services. That's wow. billion with a B billion dollars. So state government is a huge economic engine. And that's not including our construction projects that we have going on. There are lots and lots of opportunities. And one thing that business owners typically will ask, and they'll say, well, I don't think what I do, the service I provide is something, you know, the state would use. I would say you need to come and visit the hub office. You need to go through the certification process. Uh, My office also oversees certification of these businesses. And I know sometimes I hear businesses say, well, I don't really want to be certified. And my response is, it's my job to hold agencies accountable for utilizing your business. And the only mechanism I have to do that is that you show up on the books. You show that you are a viable, you're capable business owner, and you're in business to make money. Right. And so when agencies say, we can't find them, Tammy, yes, you can, because I've got them. And right. our database currently holds over 6,000 wow. um, historically underutilized businesses. And so I think when we came into this role, we had maybe about 2,800. So we've certainly increased the number of businesses, but I mm. also know we have many, many more businesses in right. this state that we could be utilizing as well. Wow, that's amazing. That's exciting too. So if a business does want to get certified, what's that process? So absolutely. So the first step is you must become a vendor of the state of North Carolina. Okay. And that's a very easy online vendor link. Go to the website, start that process online. Okay. And then it will lead you to, are you interested in being hub certified? Okay. And if you are, then you just click the button. If you fit into the categories of those that are certified, it's okay. a we have statutory uh, mm-hmm. legislation that dictates what a hub is, and a hub is you know minority owned, minority meaning uh, black, Hispanic, Native American, his Asian, woman owned, or disabled, which mainly is our veteran okay. uh, disabled owned businesses, and then disadvantaged businesses. You must be 51% owned and operated, and you must be involved in the business. So you can't just be name only. You must be involved, engaged. And then if you meet those elements of the certification, then you are eligible for the hub certification process. And it's a fairly simple process. And let me just tell your audience why they should be engaged. In the midst of the pandemic, we realized really early that minority businesses were being left out of the process. They did not have access to capital. They did not have access to PPP. Yes. We were left out before the pandemic. And so when a pandemic hit, it exacerbates the process. And so we went to the governor, the administration under, at that time, Secretary Michelle Sanders, and we said, we must figure out a way to help these businesses. And so we created what we call Retool NC. It is the first ever grant program that has been issued in state government. And today we have given $21 million to historically underutilized businesses. 
And we knew that That's the demand fantastic. would be heavy. And so the General Assembly gave our office $20 million more million that we're in the midst of now issuing grants, not loans, grants. And we will be Fantastic. utilizing those funds for historically underused. And the grants go anywhere from ten to $25,000. And so for these businesses, many of them just needed a little help to keep the doors open, right. pay the rent, pay the lease, you know, whatever. We have heard from so many of them that it has been a lifesaver for their business. Wow. And so I am just excited to have been a little bit a part of that process. I was but. about to say that it must be very satisfying for you oh, absolutely. to be in this absolutely. this line of work. And that sort of leads into my next question. You spent most of your career in government and really working with Congress and advising two senators. <laughs> so you've been a part of a lot of change, but have you seen it difficult to enact change? And yes or no, but either way, what are some of the strategies that you've used to bring about some what sounds like amazing change? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a huge proponent of building relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to make it look easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> that I believe. I'm happy to make it look easy. So the strategy, I did spend some time in corporate as well, developing a program for a very large national developer my projects there were billion-dollar projects. Wow. So if you've been to L.A. lately, L.A. Live has been totally revamped. That was my project, as well as the 911 Center in New York. Wow. Uh, New York City. Uh, Tammy, you and rock! So, so those, you know, <laughs> just living here on the East Coast, I was able to do work on the West Coast and then further up east, but and up north. But it has been a real pleasure. But the rationale behind being able to do good work is to build a group of champions that support mm. the work that you do at all levels. Excellent. All levels, political levels, higher leadership levels, private industry, because probably the one best relationship is with the minority businesses okay. in general. Developing relationships so that when it's time for you to go in the boardroom and speak, you've got an army of folks behind you Mm. that are supporting the initiative that you're speaking on. So throughout my career, I've been really blessed and fortunate to have followers. I think leadership is about followership. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, and so I have been very blessed to have followership that believe in the work that I do. Wow. And because of that, the road has been much easier than it could have ever been. I often say I wear my armor to work every day because every day there mm-hmm. is a target. Mm-hmm. And so this work is not for you know the lighthearted. It is wow. not. And you cannot make it personal. It right. must always be professional. And it should always be about the businesses. Right. You're going to win some, but you also need to understand when to fold it and let that one go and wait right. for a bigger <laughs> challenge. So I've learned that over the course of my tenure and my professional journey. But for me, it's the excitement of being able to do the little bit of goodwill mm-hmm. that I can do. Oh, my goodness. You're doing more than a little bit of goodwill. And I love what you said about building those relationships and having people with you. I mean, I think sometimes we underestimate just how important relationship development is. So you are doing that exceedingly well. And now we talked about leadership. Uh, You've had an incredible career in leadership, which can sometimes be challenging position for women or women of color. Uh, What kind of advice would you share with other powerful women who are either in leadership roles or who want to be? Yeah, so throughout 
my career, I think I've learned to be unapologetic for what my belief is. Good what for my you. Ideas That's are. what I'm talking about. <laughs> what my ideas are. Now, mm-hmm. I've, I understand very clearly how to tailor them depending on the boardroom that I'm in. Right. But I think as particularly as Black women, you know, we continue to be bold about our request. We stand firm and we support other women through the journey. Amen um, you to know, that. I, I think it's not a one-fits-all. Right. I don't speak for every black woman in the room. Right. All of us have a perspective, and I think that perspective is to mm-hmm. be valued. Outstanding. I'm glad you said that because I always say we have a lot of commonalities as women and then as women of color and then as black women, but we're not monolithic. That's right. So we do need to be very bold and that unapologetic spirit, especially when you know the impact that you can have. And I mean, those small businesses, that's where it's at, really creating those opportunities. I'm so impressed with what North Carolina is doing in terms of small business development and for minority businesses. So if somebody was interested in a career like that, are there career opportunities or a guidance you could give them on what to do? Absolutely. So what we often say in this profession is there is no degree that says supplier diversity, diversity and inclusion, DE&I. You know, you develop that over time. And I really believe that if you have a passion and a heart, Mm -hmm. then you can grow the understanding of the environment and what needs to be done. I think you really must first just analyze who you are and what you believe you can support. And certainly there are plenty, you know, on the cusp of George Floyd, the murdering of George Floyd, and mm-hmm. and all of the other different things that have happened in the country in the midst of a pandemic, all over the world, they're looking for experts right. in, you know, DE&I space. And so the awakening has happened, but I think it's also up to each of us to continue to lift it and keep it in the forefront yes. of conversations. I do believe we saw all this corporate, you know, social goodwill coming forward, mm-hmm. but it's still yet to determine whether or not it has been an impact and whether or not we've seen those corporations really be true to what they said. Okay. And so I think it's up to us to continue to be mindful and have further conversations around mm-hmm. what can be done and how do we ensure that benchmarking is happening, that we are doing the types of analysis and data to ensure that we're seeing a difference. We can't change things overnight, but I think incrementally we can see change. I love to put data in front of individuals because you can't unsee what you saw. Absolutely. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you can't. So the data does not lie. And so Using data analytics to really substantiate the messaging that we're trying to push forward is important. Oh, that's outstanding. That's so true. That's part of the reason I love being an engineer and a STEM professional, because I said that those numbers, they will tell the story. So I can certainly, certainly agree with that. That's right. Now, if someone is interested or they have a business and they're interested in trying to do business with the state, but also with corporations, can the office, your office, either one of your offices support them in terms of if there's a, uh, say they want to do business with one of the energy companies here? Absolutely. Can you help them with that? Absolutely. Okay. All over the state, we have a network of diversity professionals, supplier diversity professionals, 
I am a part of the RTP DEI collective. <laughs> so we've got resources. We've got boots on the ground that can help to navigate that space. Okay. So do not be afraid. We can open a door in any of the See, spaces. See, that's so fantastic yeah. because oftentimes small businesses or minority-owned or women-owned businesses, they feel like that they don't have the relationships and so they don't even consider right. working with some of these folks. So that is so exciting to hear. That's right. And when we think about some of the growing industries, I know that I want to encourage folks to think about those things where they're just at an idea stage and then come talk to you guys. Because think about the electric car industry. That's right. How much infrastructure is going to be needed in this space. That's right. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I said, I hope minority and women-owned businesses are a part of this. So if somebody is thinking about that, could they come and talk to you about something like that? Absolutely. And I will tell you, the state is just, we're starting to have those conversations already about our electric vehicles and, you know, how do we build the charging stations and make sure, I think I read recently where President Biden had said he wanted charging stations, you know, incrementally throughout the highways. And so all of that will be great opportunities for minority businesses. So I'm excited to be a conduit to help connect the dot. Oh, I'm excited excited about that. So maybe you can come back and talk to us when you all start doing more on on that, because I would love to hear more about that. Absolutely. And there's so many things. You're just fabulous. So many things (laughs) I could continue to ask you. (laughs) But I did want to ask if there, because we know North Carolina has got it going on, but the MBDA, if someone is in another state, how would they reach out to these kind of resources. Right. So one of the benefits of codification of the Minority Business Development Agency, which happened as a result of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So MBDA had been an agency, but it was not a permanent agency. It was in executive order, one of Mm -hmm. the presidents, and I can't remember which one. But through the bipartisan legislation recently, they codified the agency, so made it a permanent agency. And wow. with that came— And uh, I did not know that. Not yes, yes, yes. Wow. And so with that came an expansion of services. And so we've seen recently RFPs on the street for a number of different other states that didn't have a business center Um, to submit for establishment of their center. So the MBDA is expanding its areas. And so almost every state, for the most part, should have an MBDA business center. Okay. And if they go to the mbda.gov website, you'll be able to tell which states have a center. I would invite the audience to visit their center okay, or reach out to us and we'll connect them to their okay. business center. We all partner when we have different types of Fantastic. learning experiences. We share the knowledge so that their clients can also join our clients. It also allows for some B2B connections for sure. firms to connect the dot. It's a great organization. It's a great agency in general, but certainly with the codification of the agency, the centers increased. Fantastic. Now, are there annual events or meetings that folks can attend or come to access all of those resources, say at one conference or something, or make some connections? Yeah, so I will tell you, every year here we host, and I've been fortunate to host it, a midweek celebration. Okay. Each President of the United States declares the month of September as Minority Enterprise Development Week, but you wow. celebrate all month. And so here in North Carolina, we celebrate as well. And so we partner with a number of our local, you know, City of Charlotte will have their midweek, Durham will have Raleigh. 
And then I host a statewide midweek celebration. And so it gives an opportunity in the midst of a pandemic. It was virtual. But this year we're hoping September, October, we'll bring that conference back to in-person. And we'll host it and we'll bring all of the resources to the conference. And businesses will be able to interact and meet some of the purchasers and those that are executing contracts. Oh, I really want our audience to hear that, that you'll have all of those resources in one location. That's right. I mean, that is powerful because I know a lot of folks are busy or they may already be working another job and or running a business. That's right. But being able to do all of that at one event, that's priceless. That's exactly right. And we typically have it at the McKimmon Center, and I don't see a reason why we would not be at the McKimmon Center. That is where we typically would hold an event of this magnitude. Wow. Okay, that is so exciting. And I want to encourage folks at all ages. On uh, last week's recording, a one a recent recording of the podcast, we we're talking about the age of business owners and how some people feel like that their season has passed for them to start a business. What would you say to those folks who think, well, I just finished a career, maybe they're in their 40s or 50s, but they have a great idea or something they want to do? What would you say to someone in that space? Oh, wow. Consulting is ageless. So being able to bring your knowledge, your wisdom to the table and share expertise, I mean, it's priceless. And I don't think there is ever an age limitation on being able to share expertise and or participate in the strategy. You're so right. And I will even say this. I also do a lot of expert witnessing in Mm -hmm. uh, biomechanics and ergonomics and product liability. The older I've gotten, the better it is because they feel like you really know something. You're seasoned. You're seasoned. (laughs) Exactly. I said, this is the one area where getting a few years on me has been a huge advantage. That's right. That's exactly right. It has been such a delight to talk to you. Uh, Is there any parting words that you can share with our audience? I want so much for them to take advantage of these resources. And I will say this, go North Carolina. Yes. I mean, truly, I've been in, lived in many states, and I have been consistently impressed with the level of commitment that North Carolina has in addressing many of the disparities. And this, and that's why I was so excited to have you on here. Any parting words for our audience? Right. So, no, I have just truly been, you know, just pleased with North Carolina's advocacy, its support of uh, minority businesses, historically underutilized businesses. And, you know, it's important that we show up and that we're part of the process, whether that's politically or advocacy-wise. We must be part of the process. And one thing that Dr. Andrea Harris left with me always was that she said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. I don't want any of our businesses to be on Mm. the menu. I want us all to be active participants in the game. Absolutely. It's our taxpayer dollars. We have a right to be there. We have a right to have a voice. And Mm. we should continue to support those leaders that support what means and is a value to us. Wow. That is so true. And let me just say, you are such a gift to North Carolina. And we're sorry for Arkansas's loss, but <laughs> awfully glad that you're here doing what you're doing. Oh, I so absolutely thank love Thank you it. so thank much you. for the impact that you're having. And thank you so much for joining me today. And thanks for listening, everyone. To learn more about the Minority Business Development Agency, visit mbda.gov, or you can reach out to Tammy directly at her office. So I am Dr. Pamela McCauley. Have enjoyed you, and I will talk with you next time. Thank you. Thank you.